0: Good morning, everyone. Uh, today's scripture reading is from the book of Hebrews, chapter 11. Okay. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old receive their comm- uh, commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. Uh, Verse 13. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. Verse 23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful By faith, he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. Uh, Verse 29. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And what more shall I say? For time would fail to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. Hebrews chapter 12, 1 to 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God.
1: Thank you, Steph. Good morning, everyone. Great to be here with you today. Uh, as we've mentioned a couple times so far this morning, this year we've been going through the story of the Bible together as a church. And last week we were in the book of Hebrews. And we were talking about the reality of the fact that following Jesus is hard. In, in every age, there's going to be struggles that Christians face because of our faith in Jesus. In the book of Hebrews, we said it's written to Christians who are struggling with their faith, who are struggling because of their faith and thinking maybe my life would be easier if I just forgot about Jesus and went back to my old life. They were tempted to turn away from their new faith in order to get this easier life. And the whole book of Hebrews is one big argument telling them don't give up because Jesus is better. And today, we're back in Hebrews, a couple chapters later, in Hebrews chapter 11, which is one of the more famous chapters of the Bible. Some people refer to it as the Hall of Faith. It's a list of all the heroes of the Bible and the amazing things that they did through their faith in Jesus. And as we look at this chapter today, we're going to be mainly talking about faith. But it's important for us to remember the bigger context of the book, the the explanation of what faith is and what faith does that we're going to see today, it's actually part of that same argument that we looked at last week. The argument, trying to convince them and us don't give up on following Jesus. Stick with Jesus because Jesus is better. And so we're going to look at faith today. We're going to see that to be the people we're meant to be, we need faith in Jesus. And we're going to look at faith, what it is, why we need it, why we don't want it, and how to get it. But before we dig in and look at the passage, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the amazing things that your word tells us about your faithfulness in the past, that we can look at this record of your faithfulness and and use that to help us as we seek to follow you today. God, I pray that we would be people who remember your goodness, who have faith in you because of your faithfulness in the past. In Jesus' name, amen. So, first up, what faith is. Faith is a word that I think if you ask 10 different people in today's world, you might get 10 different answers when you say, What is faith? So, before we start talking about faith, I figured it might be good to get a little bit of a definition for us so we're all on the same page in terms of what it means. And thankfully, verse 1 of today's passage gives us kind of a definition of faith. Now, It's not what we would be looking for if we looked up faith in a dictionary today, but it's a good starting point for this discussion. He says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So there's a starting definition. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. But again, what does that mean? Does that mean we just need to hope really hard for something to be true? And then if we believe it hard enough, it doesn't matter if it's a complete lie, we can make it a reality. Does it mean that if we're going to become Christians, we just need to turn our brains off and, and have, have faith? Well, no, that's not what he's saying. He says, yes, faith is believing something that we can't see, but it's not believing without evidence. He says faith involves assurance and conviction. You don't get assurance that something is true or conviction that something is true completely apart from evidence. So faith is actually looking at all the available evidence for who God is and for what God is like. And then based on that evidence, trusting him, even though we can't see him even though we can't prove scientifically that he's real and he's there, it's continuing to trust in him based on the evidence. Faith is belief without sight, but it's not belief without evidence. And my guess is that if if you're here today and you're not a Christian, first, we're so glad that you're here, but you may be thinking, Eric, I just can't do that. Like for me to believe something, I need to be able to prove that it's real. And, and what you're saying about trusting in a God that I can't see, that's, that's beyond my ability. But the reality is that we all trust things that we can't see or prove scientifically every single day. Like one example, do you know how many Various different types of deadly microscopic bacteria could be in each bite of food that you eat. If you do the research, I think it might terrify you. How many things could be in your food that that could just make you terribly sick or kill you? With your eyes, you can't see whether or not it's on the food. So sure, there are microscopes you could buy that would test it or scientific tests that you could do to check for bacteria, but most of us don't have the time or the training or the money to be able to do that. And even if you did, like what if you contaminate your food in the process of testing it? What if by testing it, you're introducing stuff into the food that that wasn't there before and now is gonna make you sick? At some point, you need faith that the food you're eating won't kill you. You need to believe that the thing you're eating is going to be safe for you to eat. And then you need to act on that faith by eating the food. And I know that all of us in this room have this faith, because if you don't do this, you'll die. And everyone in this room is alive. No one in this room looks malnourished. We all have faith on a day-to-day basis that the food we're eating is not gonna kill us, even though we haven't proven that scientifically. Even though we haven't seen with our eyes beyond a shadow of a doubt that our food is safe to eat. And yeah, different people need different levels of evidence to believe their food is safe to eat. Back in the day, the kings in in really powerful countries would have people whose job was to eat a bite of every piece of food served to them before the king ate it so that if, if someone, something in the food was gonna make you drop dead, that person would drop dead before you, and you could be saved. Again, I, I think most of us don't actually need that level of evidence to believe that our food is safe to eat. For most of us, we trust that our food is safe to eat because the government has done tests on batches of food as it comes across the border, and we trust their testing. That's really what it comes down to for most of us. We trust that the food that's for sale in our grocery stores is safe to eat because someone has told us this food is safe to eat. That's how most of us operate on a day-to-day basis when it comes to our food. Our faith that our food is safe is built on confidence that the person doing their job for the government is doing their job right and being honest with us about the results that's quite a high level of faith. We're placing our lives in their hands on a day-to-day basis. All of us do this every day. All of us are able to trust something that we can't see or can't prove scientifically. And why do we trust that person? Why do we trust that their word is true? Well, it's because they have a proven track record of food safety in Hong Kong. Right? Like if if Hong Kong was constantly having cases where people were catching deadly viruses or bacteria because they ate tainted meat that the government approved of, no one would trust the government's food inspection. But because that doesn't happen, we trust the government to only allow safe food on our grocery store shelves, which is actually a good picture of biblical faith. Biblical faith is trusting God's word to be true, even when, when we can't see him. But like with food, we can look back over his proven track record in the past. We can see that he is reliable. He is trustworthy. He does come true, for the, come through for the people who trust him. And then we can use that as our evidence to determine whether we can trust him moving forward. It requires us to trust something that we can't see but not something without evidence. And that's what's happening in Hebrews 11. The author is giving us God's track record. He's telling us everything God has done for all these people throughout the years and how he has been faithful to one after another, after another, so that you and I can believe that a life of faith in Jesus is possible. So that you and I can believe that a, faith, a life of faith in Jesus is desirable in our lives today. So if we expand this definition of faith a little bit more, a little bit something that might fit better in one of our dictionaries today, we maybe could say faith is trusting that what God says is true based on his proven track record in the past and acting on that trust, even though we can't see how things will work out. It's trusting that what God says is true based on his proven record in the past and acting on that trust even though we can't see how things will work out. And we've already mentioned a couple of these things, but a couple other things to note. Um, One, the object of biblical faith is God. We don't just have faith in general, we have faith in God. Our faith needs to be in something that's strong enough to sustain it. And God is the only one strong enough to sustain it. Uh, The other thing to note, faith always leads to action. One of my friends likes to use the illustration, like if I told everyone right now that there was a bomb in the back of this room, how could you tell whether people had faith in my word? Everyone who believed me would be leaving the room immediately and trying to drag their friends with them, right? If you actually believe that what I'm saying is true, it's going to lead to action. It's not that the action makes you believe, but, but the action is evidence of the fact that you already do believe. Which means that if we walk around saying, I'm a Christian, I trust in Jesus, and then we never live differently because of that faith, it shows that we don't have true faith. It's not that our actions earn faith, it's just that faith cannot exist unless it leads to action. And then finally, the other thing I want us to note in this definition, faith acts even when it can't see the future. Faith acts even when it can't see the future, which we'll look at a little bit more in a little bit. But faith means trusting God's way is best, even when we don't know how things are going to turn out. So that's what faith is. But why do we need it? And probably the biggest reason that we need faith is spelled out for us in verse six of today's passage. It says, Without faith, it is impossible to please Him. That's God. And whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. The author of Hebrews is telling us without faith, specifically without faith in Jesus, we cannot please God. Now, just to give us some context of how significant that is, the reality is each of us live our lives trying to meet someone's standards so that we can please that person. Every single day, each of us lives our lives trying to meet someone's standards so that we can please that person. It may be our boss, it may be our parents, it may be ourself, it may be our spouse or someone that we hope might be our future spouse. You know, it might be our classmates or our coworkers, someone else. Whoever it is, all of us have some individual or some group of people that we think, if I can just get this person to be happy with me, then life will be okay. If I can just make this person smile because of me, then life will be okay. And who that person or group is may change over time, but the reality that we're living, trying to please someone is always at work in our lives. And whoever is standard, we treat as ultimate. Whoever it is that we just, we need their smile of approval more than anything else in life that person or group is going to function as God in our lives. Whoever's smile is most important to us, that person is going to function as God in our lives. Their standard of right and wrong is gonna become our standard of right and wrong. Their definition of success is gonna become our definition of success. Their idea of how to best prioritize our time is gonna become our criteria for how to best prioritize our time. But if there's a God and the whole assumption of the Bible is that there is, then building our lives around anyone else's standard of approval will not be enough for us. It's gonna trap us, it's gonna leave us as slaves, it's gonna cause us to actually miss out on what's most important in life. And I realize that's really conceptual. Let's, let's talk about one specific example of how this might play out in today's world to, to make it a little more concrete. So a lot of people in today's world want more than anything else to have a huge social media following. You met someone who wants lots of followers on social media, and it could be for a variety of reasons. It could be that you're starting a business or trying to build a brand and you want more exposure so more people will come buy from you. It may be that all the celebrities you look up to have great social media following and you want to be like them. It may just be that you feel good when someone interacts with your post in an affirming way and you figure the more followers you have, the more affirmation I'm gonna get from my followers. And I'm not saying it's bad to want a big following on social media. What I'm saying is, if having that large following and the approval of your followers is your number one criteria for determining whether you're successful in life or for determining whether you're a worthwhile human being, even if you just feel that for a moment, it's gonna make you a slave to your followers and their desires. If your followers smile is more important to you than anyone else's in life, you're gonna become their slave. You have to figure out what they want. You have to constantly give them more of that so they keep following you and they keep liking your posts. You're not free to truly be yourself. You have to present a curated version of yourself that you think everyone else will approve of and will keep your followers coming back and inviting their friends and giving you thumbs up because they like what you're doing. And it's dangerous to live this way. One, because you can never keep everyone happy, right? Like there are people out there who believe that eating meat is the greatest thing you can ever meet. And there are people out there who believe that eating meat is evil. If you're posting pictures of your food, you're going to alienate one or the other of those groups at some point, right? And that's just a simple, silly example, but there are things people care way more about in life. If you're you're trying to please everyone, it's not gonna work. You're gonna alienate people, whatever you do. The things that make one group of people happy are gonna push other people away, and you're always gonna have people upset with you. And beyond that, crowds, are so fickle. You can have a huge following one day and then someone discovers that you posted something six years ago that they think is offensive and then all of a sudden you're canceled and everyone leaves you and all the work that you did to build up your social media following and get that affirmation is done in a moment. It's not lasting. It's not secure. If you're seeking your identity and approval and affirmation through impressing other people with your actions, you're in a losing battle. Now, why am I going into depth discussion, discussing this? Because I want us to understand we're always, always trying to please someone in our lives. You may think trying to please social media followers is stupid. Why would anyone ever do that? But how many hours a week do you work trying to impress your boss? How much work have you put into getting your dad to say, I'm proud of you throughout the course of your life? All of us have someone that we're trying to please and whoever that is, we are their slaves. No matter how hard we try, we can never do enough to get their lasting pleasure and approval but you know, as great as it is to have others pleased with us, it's infinitely greater to have God pleased with us. His pleasure is lasting. His pleasure is secure. Unlike all the other people we try to please, we don't get God pleased with us by doing lots of stuff to earn his approval. So he'll look at us and say, hey, that Eric, he's a good guy. No, we can't do anything to earn it, but that's amazing, fantastic news, because the fact that there's nothing we can do to earn it is exactly the reason that it's absolutely secure. See, since we didn't do anything to earn God's blessing and approval and pleasure, we can't do anything to lose it. If I didn't do anything to get it in the first place, then what can I do to to make it not mine anymore? And if we can't do anything to earn it, where do we get it from? Well, we're told right here, we get it from faith, from trusting in Jesus. And I realize this chapter, it lists out a lot of amazing things people did trusting and following Jesus. But notice all the great things listed throughout this chapter are the result of faith, not the cause of it. It's only because they already had faith, because they were already pleasing to God apart from anything that they had ever done that any of the people listed in this chapter were able to do these amazing things in their lives. So God's pleasure, his approval come through faith. And if you're here today and you're a non-Christian, this has huge implications for you. And what I'm about to say may be very offensive to you. I'm not saying it for the sake of being offensive. I'm saying it because I want you to feel how high the stakes are as we're discussing faith. And here's what it is. If, if faith is the only way to please God, then if you are not a Christian, you cannot please God. There's no amount of work or effort or accomplishment that you can do to get God to approve of you. As long as you're relying on your own effort, all you can earn is God's anger. That's what the author is saying when he says, without faith, it's impossible to please him. The only way to get a smile from God in your life is to become a Christian and trust in Jesus. And God's inviting you to do that today if you haven't done that before. Faith is vitally important for us to become the people that God wants us to be. People who please him. So faith, it's so important because without it, we cannot please God, we cannot get God's smile. But I think if you look at the day-to-day lives of people in the world, including many Christians, it it appears that many people actually don't want the kind of faith being described in this passage. And it might be helpful for us to explore why not before we look at how to get this faith. Because if we don't want it in the first place, it's not going to matter how to get it. But when we diagnose why we don't want it, hopefully that can help us to overcome some of our obstacles. So let's look at why we don't want it. And I think there are several reasons we don't want it. We don't have time to get into all of them. Let's look at two of them that I think are prominent in this passage. And the first is that when we live by faith, we can't control the results. Like if you read through this chapter, you're gonna see a lot of incredible things that people did because of their faith in Jesus or faith in God during Bible times. Like Abraham and Sarah had a baby when they were as good as dead. Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt and through the Red Sea. The Israelites conquered the city of Jericho by walking in circles around its wall. Like this was their battle plan and it worked because of their faith. That's amazing, right? And then in verse 33 through the first half of 35, we get this incredible list of all the things people did by faith. They conquered kingdoms, they enforced justice. Like doesn't our world want someone who can enforce justice? They did it through faith. They obtained promises. They stopped the mouths of lions. Stopped the mouths of lions by faith. That's incredible, right? They quenched the power of fire They escaped the edge of the sword. They were made strong out of weakness. They became mighty in war. They put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. That's great, right? That's incredible, isn't it? Doesn't everyone want to be able to do these types of things through our faith? And my guess is that if this chapter stopped right there, right after that first half of verse 35, and our day-to-day experience matched that description, oh man how enthusiastic would we all be about living out that faith on a day-to-day basis? Because up to the middle of verse 35, this passage, it's upbeat, it's exciting, it's encouraging. If that was our day-to-day practical experience of faith, like think how full this auditorium would be right now. And we couldn't all fit in one service. We'd have like multiple services full of people in here because we'd all be so excited about living with this type of faith because we all want those things in our lives. But you know what none of us want in our lives? Torture. Anyone want torture? No, I didn't think so. None of us want mocking and beating. None of us want chains or imprisonment. None of us want destitution or affliction. (laughs) none of us want to be mistreated. None of us want to be put to death. That's what none of us want. Hey, can you go back to mommy? Yeah, let's go back to mommy. (laughs) And starting halfway through verse 35, that list that I just described of all the things that none of us want, we see that all of those are also possible results when we live by faith. Like, think about this. If we went and stood outside of City Gate Mall and we handed out flyers inspired by like the second half of verse 35 and the following verses, and we said, come follow Jesus. Come be part of the Bridge Church. This is what you are signing up for. Torture, mocking, imprisonment, affliction, and death. How many people do you think would come I mean, if anyone did come, they'd probably be the type of person who made everyone around them super uncomfortable, right? Like, hey, I'm new, what, what, what made, and just ask them like, what made you wanna come visit us? Like, oh, I heard torture would be in my future if I came here. <laughs> We'd be like, get away from me, right? Like, that's weird. No one wants that. It makes us uncomfortable to be around someone who would be interested in that. How many of us would have come to church if that was our invitation? Come, torture, mocking, affliction, death. Want to be part of us? No one would be here if that was how we had first heard about Jesus, right? And here's the thing. When we live by faith, it's possible that instead of these incredible, amazing miracles, that's the result. We're completely out of control. And because of that lack of control, I think if we're honest, a lot of us don't really know what to do with faith. Like we want God pleased with us. We want all the the benefits, the power, the success, everything up to that first sentence of verse 35, we want it. But we're terrified to death of all those other possible outcomes. Like the reason this chapter lists these things is because their faith sustained them through it. But like none of us ever want to be in a position where we need the kind of faith that will sustain us through torture right? We'd rather just have the faith that shuts the mouths of lions and then not have to worry about sustaining us through torture, right? Like, doesn't that sound like a better way to go through life? We don't want to put ourselves in the position where one of those difficult, painful, uncomfortable outcomes is even possible. And so rather than have the type of faith that completely relies on God and completely trusts Him with the results, we actually try to limit our exposure to potential difficulty. We want to use God for the benefits, but we never want to be in a place where we absolutely need him to come through for us or else we're in trouble. We don't want faith. Faith terrifies us because when we live by faith, we're out of control. So that's one reason we don't want faith. Another reason that we don't want faith is that living by faith doesn't make sense to the way we see the world. Living by faith often doesn't make sense to the way we see the world. Living by faith means taking God at his word, even when everything in our understanding of the world screams there's no way that God could ever tell us to do that. Like, what do you think was going through Abraham's head as he walked up the mountain to sacrifice Isaac? Isaac. Like he's celebrated for his faith in doing that in this chapter. What do you think was going through his head in that moment? You know, he didn't have the Bible yet, but he had probably heard that God's not a fan of murder. Yeah, child sacrifice happened in different religions in his day, but this probably just seemed so out of line with God's character to him, right? But he had heard God's voice telling him, go take your son up the mountain and sacrifice him there to me. How do you make sense of that? And again, just a note, we have the Bible today. It says that God hates child sacrifice. If you think that you hear God telling you to sacrifice your child, you didn't. But there are a lot of things God tells us to do today in the Bible, or tells us through the Bible to do them, that feel just as insane in today's world as God's command to Abraham would have felt back then. Lots of things in the Bible feel as insane in today's world as God's command for Abraham to sacrifice Isaac would have felt back then. Like our world, divorce is everywhere. Did you know that in the Bible, there's only two criteria for a divorce to be permissible? Like two. One is if your spouse is unfaithful to you and commits adultery. One is if they abandon you specifically because you're a Christian and they can't stand being married to a Christian. I think you could make a strong case that if there's like physical abuse and it's physically dangerous for you to be in the house, that's a type of emotional abandonment and that would be covered in that umbrella too. But think about all the common excuses for divorce that people in today's world use that are not covered by this criteria. Like according to the Bible, I'm in a loveless marriage is not a valid excuse for divorce. According to the Bible, we have financial issues and I'd have a more stable and secure financial future if I just got out of this marriage is not a valid excuse for divorce. According to the Bible, all we ever do anymore is fight one another is not a valid excuse for divorce. Like, doesn't God telling us to stay in a loveless marriage and keep loving our spouse who doesn't love us back sound about as insane in today's world as him telling Abraham to sacrifice his son would have sounded 4,000 years ago? Doesn't God telling us to stay in a bankrupt marriage that's going to hold us back financially sound totally insane to the way we see the world today? Doesn't God telling us to stay in a marriage that feels more like the Cold War sound absolutely insane to the way we see the world? It doesn't make sense to the way we see and understand the world when we live by faith. And on a day-to-day basis, the tangible real-life difficulties that we see and experience in the world feel way more real to us than the God we can't see, who's telling us to do things that feel insane. If following the God we can't see is going to bring more difficulty in the things we can see, I think a lot of the time we just don't want it. And yet, despite the fact that we don't want faith for various reasons, we still need it. We need it because apart from faith, we cannot please God. So how do we overcome these obstacles and barriers and get to a place where we truly desire faith and where we actually have that faith? Well, let's look at how to get it. And the first two verses of chapter 12 give us two steps to take in getting this faith. The first is to see the great cloud of witnesses. The picture that he paints for us here is that we're all running a race, and and that race is our Christian lives. And the people listed in chapter 11 as the heroes of the faith, they're in the stands watching us and cheering us on as we run this race. It's a good, good crowd to have cheering you on, right? And them cheering us on, it's meant to encourage us to keep running well. And from personal experience, I can tell you this works to an extent. Now, some of you know, I've done a few ultra marathons in my life. And if you've ever done an ultra marathon, or if you ever decide to do one, there will come a point, possibly multiple points, during the course of that race when you want nothing more than to quit and give up. In my first ultra marathon, it was a 100K race, 100 kilometers. It was 3 a.m. I had done 70 kilometers so far. We were on our way up Taimoshan. I still had 30 kilometers to go and it felt like the race would never end. I wanted nothing in life more than to curl up in my bed and sleep until I could physically not sleep any longer at that moment. I wanted to give up, but I knew I have a team of people around me. I have supporters cheering me on and that gave me motivation to keep going. I looked at my teammates and the people around me, I saw them keep going. I knew that other people had finished this race before me and it made me believe that it was possible for me to keep going and to finish the race too. And so in that sense, this crowd of witnesses is so helpful. When God's commands make no sense to you, seeing Abraham bring Isaac up that mountain to sacrifice him can encourage you to keep trusting God even when his commands make absolutely no sense. When you're afraid of all the terrible things that could happen to you, if you do live by faith, looking back on the people whose faith empowered them to endure through trials, that can encourage you to endure, even when it's hard. When you feel too broken and messed up and sinful for God to ever love you, looking back and seeing that God was pleased with Rahab the prostitute because of her faith can remind you that you can never be too far from God for him to love you. But I think if we're honest, this crowd of witnesses, it's only so helpful because at a certain point, they also become intimidating to us. I mean, these are the heroes of the Bible. God calls David a man after my own heart. What hope does a normal everyday person like me ever have of living up to that standard? Their example, it's really helpful up to an extent, but we need more than just their example. Because at the end of the day, if we're trying to live up to their example through our power, it's gonna crush us because we can never do it. These guys, they give us inspiration, but they don't give us strength. When we're completely unable to keep going, they're not the ones who are gonna give us the strength to endure. We need something more. And that's where the second step comes in, which is look to Jesus. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, he says in verse two. And on one level, Jesus is an example of the life of faith, just like everyone else in chapter 11, he's actually not just any example. He's the greatest example. He lived by faith better than any of the Old Testament heroes, but he's not just an example, and that changes everything, because he's also the savior. We see in verse two that Jesus endured the cross, an object of shame because of the joy set before him. See, if, if Jesus is just our example, then trying to live up to that standard, finding joy in all the shameful things in life, that's gonna crush us because we can never do that, right? But if Jesus is our savior, then him living up to that standard, is gonna transform us. If Jesus is only our example, then in order to be able to please God, we need faith as great as his faith, which I don't have. I'm guessing none of us have it. But if Jesus is not just our example, but also our savior, then through him and the work that he's done, God is already pleased with us. Which means God will work through whatever faith is in us, no matter how feeble or faltering it may be. Because our faith, it's not determined by how strong our faith is, but by how strong the savior is that we're trusting in. It's the savior who sustains it and his perfection overcomes all of our shortcomings. How does he do that? How does Jesus transform us to make us the types of people who find joy in suffering and shameful and painful things? Well, because by enduring the cross, he changed the nature of reality. He went to the cross and he died as a condemned criminal, which is the position of ultimate shame in the universe. And yet It says now he is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He's now in the position of ultimate honor and authority in the universe. By trusting in God, even when he couldn't see, Jesus not only became our example, but also changed the nature of reality. That's the J that Nick was talking about. He went down into that shame, but he's come up into this resurrection and honor and power. His resurrection is the guarantee that we will be resurrected in the future as well if we trust in him. His position of honor before God guarantees that if we trust in him, we have a position of honor before God as well, which means we can have assurance that faith always works. Faith always brings results and not just any results, not just terrible results, but good, desirable results every time. Maybe those results aren't coming in the moment. Maybe in the moment, all it feels like is torture, mockings, beatings, chains, prison, poverty, affliction, mistreatment, even death. But because Jesus is our savior, not just our example, Because the end of the story of the cross is Jesus at the right hand of God's throne. We can have conviction and assurance that if we endure in faith, our story ends with us honored in God's presence as well. The only way to get lasting faith that can sustain us through whatever life brings our way is by looking to Jesus as our savior. So church, to be the people God wants us to be, we need faith. It doesn't mean shutting off our brains and ignoring all the evidence. No, it means looking to God's track record of proven faithfulness and holding on to that when things get hard. And it will be hard. Like, sometimes things God says to do don't make any sense to us. Sometimes God tells us to do things that don't turn out the way we want, but it's always going to be worth it because when we have faith, God is pleased with us. And God is going to make things right in the end until the day that we're in his presence, experience his blessing forever. And our faith no longer has to be in something we can't see because we're going to see him. That's how the story ends. That's why we need faith. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, Thank you for the example of the people who have come before us and following you and the things that they can teach us about living by faith. Forgive us for the times that we haven't wanted faith or have tried to avoid needing faith, God. And teach us each day to trust in you, to live a life of faith, of confidence in who you are based on what you've done in the past. Make us a people who are pleasing to you. In Jesus' name, amen.